it's not going to fit. Put that one on. I'll just, just swap. Number one, right? Okay. Thank you. It was early Monday morning. Denise was driving to school. She's in the northbound lane on 81. She's talking to me on the phone. I was here at church. She's telling me, have a great day. I'll be praying for you and all of that. And then all of a sudden, she starts screaming. Now, that is the freakiest feeling you could ever have as being a, a husband. Feeling helpless, like you can't do anything. And she started screaming and was screaming for the next three to four seconds. And I just started saying, what's happening, what's happening, what's happening, what's happening? You know, that's all I could do. And what had happened is, two deer had come across the street run into the back of her truck, sent the truck into a spin, she went across the median, went across two lanes, and ended up in the right side on the southbound side of 81. And then, after coming to a stop, she was still screaming, and she prepared herself for impact. She was ready for another car to hit her. And so I'm still yelling, what's happening, what's happening, what's happening? Finally, nothing hits her. She regains composure. But then she looks over and sees the two deer that she hit. She loses it again. And then I'm, she tells me what's happening. And that, at that point, I'm thinking, oh, no, don't get out of the car. You know, I'm thinking she's going to run over, try to save those deer by giving them mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. <laughs> right? So I say, don't get out of the car, don't get out of the car, don't get out of the car. Drive, drive, drive. And she finally drove off, going south now. Then she does a U-turn. And I'm telling her then, I'm coming to get you. I'm coming, no, I don't need you, no, no, no. So I finally come and meet her at the 7-Eleven. She goes by the deer again. When I got to the 7-Eleven, all we could do was be thankful to God. Why? Well, because when I came there about six, seven minutes later, there was traffic all over the place. There was a man stopped in front of the deer with his lights flashing. I mean, there were cars lined up all over the place. How did Denise cross three lanes without any cars being there is a miracle. God watched after her. How do you deal with things like that in your life? How do, you, how do you deal with accidents? How do you deal with trials? How do you deal with interpersonal strife? You know, if Denise would have kept thinking about that four seconds, or three seconds, whatever it was, if she would have thought about that for the rest of the week, you know, spinning out of control, she probably never would have gotten back into a car again she probably would never drive again. But instead of focusing on the pain of that trial, she focused on the one who saved her from it. She had to remember God's blessings in order to start the process of forgetting. And that's what we're going to look at today. 
we're going to look at how God gave Joseph the gift of forgetting. And remember, we've been going through rather slowly the life of Joseph. And we're going to continue that study today. And in, in the last sermon that I preached, we saw how God had taken Joseph from a life of hardship in jail to a life of leadership over all of Egypt. Now, how did that take place? Well, you remember, Pharaoh called Joseph after having a dream. He called Joseph in to interpret the dream, and Joseph did, and told him, told Pharaoh what the future was for Egypt, that Egypt would have seven years of prosperity and then seven years of famine. And Joseph suggested to Pharaoh that he finds a man who could manage the harvest of seven good years so that they would have enough food and seed to survive the famine of seven years. So Pharaoh wisely and providentially chooses Joseph to be that leader. So what's amazing is, in, in a few moments of time, they clean up Joseph, who's in jail. You know, they give him a haircut, they shave him, they probably give him some deodorant, you know, and, and put new clothes on. And he goes and stands before Pharaoh. And he goes from being a jail keeper to the keeper over all of Egypt. Now that's amazing, providential grace. Listen to the word of God. This is Genesis 41, verses 46. Now Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven years of plenty, the land brought forth abundantly. So he gathered all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and placed the food in the cities. He placed in every city the food from its own surrounding fields. Thus Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he stopped measuring it, for it was beyond measure. Now before the year of the famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore to him. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. He named the second Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. You see, in this story of Joseph's rise to power, we get a little glimpse of his personal life. We get to look behind the scenes to see what's going on. We get to look at what he was thinking during this time. And, and Joseph is blessed with two sons. One son's name was Manasseh, which means forgetting. The other son's name was Ephraim, which means doubly fruitful. Now, by now you all know that names are very important in the Old Testament and in, in the Bible. The name for Adam uh, is from the word dust and illustrates the idea that God created Adam from the dust and breathed life into him. Eve means life giver. Cain means here he is. So we see that names are very important in the Bible. And Joseph names his sons forgetting 
and fruitful as a testimony to God's faithfulness during his trials of life and his later becoming fruitful. So the first thing that we're going to look at is how we need to forget the past. You see, God gave Joseph, it says this in verse 51, this gift of forgetting. It says this, that God has made me forget all my trouble and all of my father's household. Now, of course that doesn't mean that God gave Joseph amnesia. No, it meant that God had taught him how to deal with his past so that he could forget his troubles. Now, let me remind you, since we haven't talked about Joseph in a while, let me remind you of some of his troubles. If you remember in Genesis 37, Jacob had showed so much favoritism towards Joseph that his brothers were jealous of him. They hated him. And then Joseph starts telling them dreams of how one day they're going to bow before him. And because of that, they hated him even more. You can understand that. And so um, they continued to hate him until finally one day they decided we're going to get rid of this brother. So they ruthlessly plotted to kill him. But eventually they changed their mind and they sell him into slavery. Now, for most people, that would be the end of it for them. But not for Joseph. Why? Why? Because he remembered so he could forget. He remembered God's faithfulness to him. He remembered God's love. And he also remembered God's providential care. He knew that God was working all things together for, the, for them that love God. He didn't sit and sulk. He didn't think about be, be, uh, turning and, and uh, getting back at his brothers. He didn't think about that. He didn't think about getting even. If he would have done this, he would have been a failure in the present. But with forgiveness, Joseph was able to forget his past abuses and his sufferings. Now, I've known Christians, and so have you, that constantly live in the past. They are constantly going over the things that they have, that have, they have suffered at the hands of others. You know, something has happened in their past and they just can't get over it. And this keeps them from future blessings. The Apostle Paul had a similar philosophy to what Joseph did. And he had this in Philippians. Turn there with me. Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 14. Listen to what Paul says. More than that, I count all things to be a loss in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death, 
in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but listen to this, it says, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as laying hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What, what did the Apostle Paul say here that he forgot? He didn't forget about God. He didn't forget about His mercies. He didn't forget about His salvation by grace. He didn't forget, in this passage it talks about the righteousness that was given to Him by faith. He didn't forget any of those things. He forgot the trials that He faced, the troubles that He faced. And it says this in 2 Corinthians 6, 4-10. through 10. Paul talks about the hardships that he suffered. He suffered troubles, hardships, distresses, beatings, imprisonments, riots, sleepless nights, hunger. You see, if Paul would have focused on those things, he probably would have given up. He probably would have said, you know what? Ministry is not, you know, I don't get blessed by this. He could have been just like Joseph, you know, and said, What's it worth serving God? Every time I serve Him, I end up in more trouble. Paul could have thought that. Joseph could have thought that. But they didn't do that. They forgot about their past troubles. You know, if he would have focused on his past, he would have floundered in the present. In the present. And I think Paul also was unwilling to focus on his past blessings if that would keep him from his present goal. Now, in the Old Testament, there's a story that pictures that philosophy. It's in Ezra 3, verses 11 through 13. And at that point, the people of God were gathering together to celebrate because the second temple, the foundation, was laid. So the young people were rejoicing. But the older people... We're crying. Why? Because they were looking back to the first temple that was destroyed. Solomon's temple was destroyed in 586 B.C. And they were looking back to that temple and thinking about the glories of that temple. And then they were looking at the foundation of this new temple going, it ain't like the old one. So they were glorying in the past while the young people were celebrating in the present. Haggai, in Haggai chapter 2, came to these people and he told them this. He said, don't live in the glory of the past. Get to work. Do not fear. Press on towards the goal. Doesn't that sound like the Apostle Paul? Forget what lies behind and press on towards the goal. They were overly focused on past blessings. And you know who else was? Archie and Edith Bunker. You remember All in the Family? Well, my wife said I had to sing this. Boy, the way Glenn Miller played. Songs that made the hit parade. 
Guys like us, we had it made. Those were the days. And you knew where you were then. Girls were girls and men were men. Mr. We could use a man like Herbert Hoover again. Didn't need no welfare state. Everybody pulled his weight. G.R. Old LaSalle ran great. Those were the days. Remember that show? Archie, Archie was always living in the past, and he was always beating, remember, Meathead with a club because he was loafing and living in his house. What are the signs that you're doing the same thing? What are the signs that you're living in past glories instead of pressing on? What are the signs are... One of the signs are, maybe you're constantly looking back to what the church used to do. You know, we used to do it this way in the church. We used to sing this way in the church. We used to wear certain clothes in the church that people don't wear anymore. You know, many times we can glory in the past and it can cause you to despair in the present. It can also hamper others who are rejoicing in what God is doing in the present. You know, past blessings are fine. You know, we have received them from the hand of God, but if we overly focus on them, if they get in the way of us pressing on, then we need to forget them. There can be no progress without proper forgetting. And there cannot be progress in the Christian walk without the proper forgetting of sins. And that's the second point, forgetting our sins. You know, when we confess our sins, we need to forget them because God has forgiven them. Now, that's pretty easy, right? But not for some folk. And it, it reminds me of King David. I always think of King David with this. How did King David ever get over his sin? You know, remember, he was a man after God's own heart. He wrote a lot of the Psalms. He was a godly man, right? And then he commits the sin with Bathsheba. He ends up murdering Bathsheba's husband. He covers up the whole sin, right? And then finally, about a year later, the prophet Nathan comes to him and says, You're the man! And in Psalm 51, he confesses his sin, right? But how did he not beat himself up for the rest of his life? Why? Because his child lost his life because of his sin. He lost his son Absalom because of his sin. The kingdom was split over his sin. How did he not beat himself up for the rest of his life? Because he knew that his God loved him and could forgive him. And after that, he was still known as a man after God's own heart. Listen to what 1 John 1, 9 says. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
What is the basis of our forgiveness in this verse? You might be thinking, it's our confession. No, it's not. Yes, we have to confess. It tells us to confess. But that's not the basis of our forgiveness. It's not how sincere we are. It's not how often we repent. It's not how thoroughly we repent because a lot of times we need to repent of our repentance. It's not our sorrow. It's not how much we mourn. It's the faithfulness and justice of God. That's what it says in this verse. That is the reason why he forgives. In faithfulness, we see that God will keep his promises. If we confess, then he forgives. His character is on the line. God cannot lie. He is faithful to all his promises. And the second basis of forgiveness is that God is just. He cannot wink at sin. He cannot overlook sin. He is just. And, and the... the uh, the doctrine of redemption is flawless. We cannot mess it up. God's wrath for our sin was poured out on Christ instead of us. His righteous record went to our account, and therefore we are justified, and the law's demands are fulfilled in Christ. His justice is fulfilled. In fact, listen to what Jeremiah 31, 34 says. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. And if God forgets our sins, then we do also. We need to also. But you know what? Many times that doesn't happen, does it? And after we confess our sins, it continues to come back to our mind. It continues to hound us. It keeps on condemning us. So what are we to do then? And many times I think we think that that's God doing that. Or we think that's the Holy Spirit. But it's not. Listen to what one writer says. He says, let me say this clearly. If you find yourself thinking along those lines, it's not the voice of God you are hearing, but the voice of Satan. You have no right to listen to it. Of course, if you have not confessed your sins, you must begin there. Sin must be confessed. But if you have confessed it, then you must forget it, in the same sense that God has it, forgotten it. You know it is there. You know what you've done. And the fact that the past failures should keep you closer to God. But you have no right to remember it in the sense of bringing it up like a dog digging up an old bone and gnawing on it. To do that is sheer unbelief. It is to say, God, I know that you promised to forgive my sins and forget about them forever. But I am not sure that I can really believe that. Are you sure we shouldn't fuss over it a little bit more? Oh, the joy of being able to forget about past sins. In hell, no one forgets. That is one of the horrors of hell. Do you recall C.S. Lewis' depiction of hell in The Great Divorce? He describes it as a place where nobody ever forgets anything. 
and instead remembers every slight, every cruel exchange of words, every harmful act, and where everybody is utterly unforgiving. In heaven, all these things are put away, for all has become new. The sins of God's people are truly forgotten and gone. Do I get an amen to that? If you confess your sins, forget about them, and press on, like the Apostle Paul says. Well, that leads us to the third point, which is remember the fruitfulness. We now come to Joseph's second son, Ephraim, and his name means doubly fruitful. Now, think about this. I wonder if Joseph, after 13 years of trial, ever thought that he was going to be fruitful. You know, all the things that he went through, all the ways that he was faithful to God and continued to be in trials, do you think he ever thought, I wonder if I'm ever going to have a house? I wonder if I'm ever going to have a wife? I wonder if I'm ever going to have a family? God pruned Joseph. He pruned him for 13 years so that he could produce fruit that would last. Listen to what John 15 says about fruit. You can turn there. John 15, verse 1, says this about fruit in our lives. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And then down in verse 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. We are chosen by God just as Joseph's was. And many times in our lives, God prunes us so that we will become more fruitful. But he doesn't prune us so we look back in the past and focus on the pain of the pruning. He wants us to look forward to the fruitfulness. So remember God's grace and his providential care. Don't wallow in the past and let the enemy remind you of your failures. Forget what lies behind and press on for God's glory. Let's pray together. We thank you for the simplicity of the gospel. Father, Help us not to complicate it. Help us to simply trust in you and not listen 
to the enemy and not listen to our flesh that reminds us of past failures. Help us to remember that you have forgotten them and so must we. Lord, we thank you for your grace because it's all based on what Christ has done for us on the cross. Lord, we praise you for that. We praise you that we will never deserve it, but you have given it to us by grace. And so, Lord, help us to live thankfully in the present tense for your glory and honor. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.